Well, we still don't have theme music. And, and, and John is, uh, our, our guy John, our friend John, our guy, our dear close friend John. Our guy. Uh, what's, what's his name now? His name, he's got a new name. Johnny now, since, Good. Since he retired, yeah. He's uh, Johnny, J-O-N-N-Y. Johnny, be good. <laughs> he's, uh, they're about to go to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I just I can't seem to hook up with him. But I have something. I have something that I did actually. That it's uh, it, it won't be theme music. Oh, we should say hello. Well, here let me. Well, I'll, I'll play this first, Kate, and and we can talk over it. And this would be like what it would be to have uh, uh, theme music. This is me, my clarinet. Oh. Yeah, doing like, uh, doing like my 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 Laurie Anderson That's impression. Nice. I like that. Have you read the reviews of Laurie's new film? Yeah, it's good. Oh, it sounds so good. I know. I can't. About the dog. I can't with dogs. Oh, why? Dying dogs. It's too heartbreaking. Oh yeah. Oh. I can watch it. All right. Well, hello and welcome. This is uh, the Kate and Vin Skelsa podcast, one of uh, four million podcasts that exist in the world. <laughs> it's true. No, I got a, I got a, a an email recently promoting oh, some. Where did our music go? No, We're I took done. it. Off. I took it off. I'm done. I can't listen to that. For, <laughs> I, I can't listen to that. Uh, John will record something for us eventually <laughs> on guitar. He That's actually. Good. You he, can come up with a new little experimental theme for us. You like this? Huh? You, it's just. You do have too much time on your hands. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that is proof. But maybe one more hobby. All right. All right. Where where was I? A pod, pod about podcast. Oh yeah. So I got this email advertising some new service. Like sound, what's the place that that we have our podcast? SoundCloud. SoundCloud, and it's like uh, uh, over a hundred thousand radio stations worldwide, over four million podcasts. Oh my God. I kid you not, four million podcasts. Oh my god! But this is our, you know, it's our little corner of the world. Yes, and we have a specific mission, which is to be looking at these old recordings and talking about mm-hmm. these old recordings that we do other things too but but that was my main idea in starting yeah. it so yeah. we're appealing to a particular audience although I started listening to a new podcast that I really like which is um, the actor Michael Ian Black just started an interview podcast oh yeah and it's he's a really great interviewer it's interesting to see who is a good interviewer uh-huh. like it's not always who you would expect and um i get a little tired when you, you sometimes over listen to one one interviewer one podcast like if you take a long car trip sometimes i'll uh-huh. overdo it uh-huh. and i get a little tired of their style and his i i drove to philly when was it two weeks ago and I didn't get. I, I listened to. He did really, really great interviews. Really, and I thought he cool. was really smart. It's called "How to Be Amazing," <sighs> my podcast podcast rec for other podcasts. I've been watching 
um, uh, Mark Maron's TV show. Oh, yeah, you said you liked that. And uh, I, I still have yet to listen to one of his podcasts, but it's all about, it's a self-referential Mm-hmm. TV show. He plays Mark Maron, who does an influential podcast from the garage of his home in the outskirts of uh, of Los Angeles. Yeah, and uh, and I find it very entertaining. I used to listen to him when he was on um, Air America. Yep, well, back yeah. in the mm-hmm. when was that the mid aughts or something? He he was on there and Rachel Maddow. Rachel Maddow and and Chuck D. Um, and the guy who quit comedy to go into politics. Uh, Al Franken. Al Franken. Yeah. Liz Winstead, Chuck D., and Rachel Maddow used to do a show together, the three of them. It was bef- right in the beginning of Rachel Maddow's career. Yeah. And uh, it was hilarious. They were the best. I mean, they, it was the most unlikely threesome to do a mm-hmm. radio show together, mm-hmm. and they were so funny and it was great. And who was that that Randy wild Rhodes. woman? Randy Rose. You did an interview with yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. I had her on uh, on the FUV show. Oh, yeah. She was yeah. a character. Where's Randy Rose? I don't know. We'll have to look her up. Yeah. She was great. She she was... I really liked that. I thought Air America station. did a decent job, but it they could never get the listenership that they needed. Well, because liberals yeah. can't. We just don't get that riled up. Yeah. Well, there's, for once in a while. there's public radio, and that's about it, you know? For, I know, for liberals. Like kind of quiet. It's so, sort of like, why is everyone so upset? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. Everyone just calm down. So uh, I saw my shrink the other day. Okay. And I uh, gave her a copy of your book. Okay. And she was very excited about that. And then she told me she was probably retiring next year. Oh, uh-oh. 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 well, this is good. You have, you have a podcast, yeah. So you can use that as your therapy. That's she, how Mark Maron uses yeah, his podcast. Yeah. I mean, she was asking me, so now that you retired, how's that going? And I said, well, you know, so far it's great because I know that I made the right decision to retire. I'm I don't miss it. Every time another like third-rate singer dies from some three-dog night kind of band, uh, I. I breathe a sigh of relief that I don't have to deal with it on the air, you know, on on my show. Um, So I'm happy with that. And I said, but, you know, my daughter has uh, guilted me into keeping my foot in it by doing a podcast. Yeah. And she was like, oh, that's great. Father, daughter thing. Oh, that's wonderful. And I said, you know, she's trying to like get me to tell stories about my early days in radio. And she said, oh, she's so smart. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but she's retiring. But Uh-oh. nobody knows yet. It hasn't been officially announced yet. Now they know. Yeah, well, now they know, I guess. So um, I have to pick up on something, Kate. Okay. That we talked about Last time, remember the on the last episode, we played the final show that I did on WFMU back in 1969, the yeah. final edition of my show called The Closet. And you had asked me if I felt when it was over and we, we shut down FMU, the staff from 6869 basically walked away from it because we felt like we had reached the end of what we were going to be able to accomplish there. 
you said, well, did were there any plans? Did you have any idea? And I sort of just, I didn't really think through my answer. And I just basically said, oh, no, you know, I didn't know. But the plan was, there was a plan. It was a real pipe dream. And I guess because pipe dreams are so ephemeral, they just, you know, they just disappear in the cloud of smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it didn't really register with me. But the pipe dream was that we were going to all move to Vermont. Right. Right. And uh, build a communal combination radio station, recording studio, commune, art center uh-huh. somewhere in Vermont. And um, it was because Lou D'Antonio had this love for Vermont and he was always traveling up there with his family where he'd get his wife and his three kids and sometimes me and your mom. And we would all pile into a, one of those small Volkswagen Beetles. I mean, can you imagine that? <laughs> there were four adults and three kids in a Volkswagen Beetle no. driving from New Jersey to Vermont. I mean, God. But it was Lou who kind of introduced us to a love for that state. And so we had this pipe dream because there were several places at the time. There was a place called ZBS in upstate New York, Zero Bullshit. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a commune of broadcasters and media people. Larry Yurden was involved with them, that name that keeps popping up on these podcasts of ours. And we wanted to take that idea and build on it in Vermont. But, of course, it was a pipe dream, literally a marijuana smoke pipe dream. (laughs) Until the day that George Black, our dear friend, called us up and said, uh, uh, well, we, we did it. And I said, George, what'd you do? What? He goes, well, we bought it. We bought the land. And I was like, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, Chrissy and I, we went up and we bought the land and it's on uh, Farmer Ray's Dairy Farm. It's in the middle of a hill and we got 20 acres and uh, when are you going to move up? He's like, oh, George, (laughs) I don't think so. So George like bought the idea and, and then went from buying the idea to actually buying the land. Was he going to share that land with you guys, that you would all live on that same land? The idea was that we would each sort of build our own living arrangement on the the land, on that that hillside, you know, and and then build a recording studio and facilities for artists to come and live on the land at the recording studio while they were recording. It was this whole, you know, hippie commune dream. And George still... Up until he died, which was a couple of years ago, still sort of would joke with us and say, when are you and Fred moving up here? When are you coming up here? (laughs) You know, I still got the land. Uh, You know, the cows are uh, retired now and, uh, you know, we're waiting for you. So that was the idea. That was the one. And how come you and Pom didn't do it? Oh, we just, we couldn't. I mean, we just, I don't know. You know, we were New Jersey kids yeah. well, you know the idea of I know, actually we get spooked in the country yeah the idea of actually 
packing up and moving there, it, it didn't make any sense. And, and we were already putting down roots here. And I guess by that time, I probably got my first professional, not professional, but commercial radio gig, which was at WABC-FM, yeah. uh, which became WPLJ. So it just didn't make any sense. And then, you know, the idea of actually building that that dream combination of elements was going to take an awful lot of money. Mm-hmm. And who had that kind of money? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, George, what he bought was a little old ramshackle cabin in the middle of this cow pasture, which over the years he and, and, and Chris built into a, a beautiful home, which you very well know mm-hmm. you visited there as a kid. And, but we didn't have the money to, to do what, what we wanted to do, which was apply for a license and get a radio station, and you, know. you really you wanted to start your own station. From yeah, scratch. yeah, we thought that that would be the way to go, so we'd never have to worry about management or right. anybody else coming in and telling us what to do. So I just I thought of that like the day after we recorded the last episode, and I've been holding it now for a couple of weeks. And I wanted to make sure that that's uh, good. That that's I gave interesting. That to you. Yeah. Well, because then what ended up happening was even though it seemed reluctant, you you ended up working within the system. You didn't go and create your own thing from scratch. You always worked worked yeah. from within the existing system, which is a, it's a different way to go. And and some would argue it has more impact because you're using the tools. The commercial tools yeah. that are already in place. I think so. Um, certainly, I was able to reach a much wider audience on those first commercial stations, yeah. ABC FM and then WNEW FM. I mean, much wider audience than ever would have heard me on some little non-commercial station in, in Vermont. Of yeah. course, we're talking now about the late 60s, early 70s, long before the Internet long before podcasts, long before the availability of this technology where you could go online and reach the world. Um, the only way back then that you could do it was to actually have a, a license and a, a broadcast frequency. Yeah. Yeah. There was no... Yeah, it's interesting. So other than that, where we left off last time with you sort of examining or looking into my story from before you were born, we left it with, with closing down FMU. Well, shall we read, shall we read our mail? Oh yeah. There's that, that funny letter. Okay. That so we, uh, we've gotten, you can email us. We have uh, an email address, Kate and Vin Skelsa podcast at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with both of us and we've gotten some lovely emails and this one is from a gentleman named Ken Shane, who wrote to us last week. And he wrote to say he was listening to the podcast about the history of WFMU. Uh, he says, in 1969, I was a senior at Columbia High School in Maplewood and a WFMU listener. There was a pledge drive that spring, and I showed up to volunteer. I immediately fell in love with the place and the people. In fact... On the night of my high school graduation, while most of my friends went to parties, I drove to East Orange to man the phones in the volunteer room. I remember being the only one there and eventually falling asleep across a row of chairs to the sound of Vin's voice from upstairs where he was on the air. 
I was awakened in the morning by the house cat clawing at my hair. Yeah. When the pledge drive ended, I stayed. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, but now he says, your history of WFMU left out a major event that I've been talking about for the last 46 years. This was the night that federal agents showed up and shut down the station. It must have been late May or early June of that year. It was such a traumatic incident that I've never forgotten it. I remember a lot about that night. One of the things I recall vividly was a heroic act that Vin did that night. But it wasn't there in your history, so I began to wonder. Mm. Uh, could it all have been staged just to clear the station of hangers on, including me? There were a lot of drugs around the station. Could I have imagined it all? I don't think so. I'll never forget the sight of those two guys in suits walking in the front door one night and asking me where the studio was. So please tell me why this important example of political repression was not included in the podcast. Mm. Well, um, uh, listener Ken, I have no recollection (laughs) Of this event. I mean, I just don't remember. I'm going to have to write to him, I guess, and ask him to be a bit more particular because I don't think we were ever busted by federal agents. Now, what is he talking about? The the FCC? Well, I wonder if this is the night that um, because you you said, yeah, there was the night that federal agents showed up and shut down the station. Must have been late May or early June of that year, of '69. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. Because what that when means. did when was your last show? When did you guys shut down the station? We shut it down in September of '69. And you had said, and you guys didn't wait around for them to come. That was a whole thing in in on your last show. Was you were like, I don't want to see them put the padlock right, on that right, door. I right. can't. It'll be like a death. And that's when you started. Yeah pontificating about death. So you weren't there when they, like, locked the place no, up. No, no. But, I mean, I, I uh, several years later, I was at WNEW-FM when the FCC came in to do a, uh, uh, a surprise spot check of the transmitter and and uh, all of the technical aspects of it. And I, I got a lot of points because I was the guy who was on the air and I handled myself well. <laughs> But other than that, I don't remember ever being visited by any agents, agents. by federal agents. So I'm going to have to write to this guy and have him tell me what heroic thing I did. Maybe it'll it'll spark my my memory. Yeah. But it's nice getting, uh, you know, email like that from people. Ken, thank you for writing to us. And that was uh, his description of, of how high school kids would come by and then move in right. and, and basically stay with us. Uh, that's, that's definitely rooted in, uh, in reality. I love that. He was the only one there. So during that period, 68, 69, I got to work with and become friends with Towns Van Zandt. Right, because you went... We ended the the last episode talking about getting you to your job at where? Where was the job? Poppy Records. Right. Which was uh, a label owned by a, a guy, an independent record guy named Kevin Eggers. Mm-hmm. And Kevin was releasing Towns' first album for the sake of the song and then Our Mother the Mountain, uh, 1968 and 69. And for people who don't know anything about Towns, can you talk a little bit about... Well, yeah. Towns was 
uh, a singer-songwriter, quote-unquote, from Texas who uh, uh, was part of a long tradition of sort of country folk singer-songwriters that went back to Hank Williams and, yeah. and people like that. And uh, he was traveling around a lot with uh, an elderly black blues man named Lightning Hopkins, who also at that point was putting out records on Poppy Records. Mm-hmm. Kevin Kevin Eggers kind of got the two of them together. And Towns had had been a fan of of Lightnings for years growing up in, in the part of Texas where he grew up. But Towns was um, a delightful yet really troubled man. He suffered from uh, severe depression. He underwent electric shock therapy when he was a, a, a teenager that destroyed much of his long-term memory. Mm-hmm. Um, How much older than you was he? He was uh, about three years older. Okay. I think he so was not that much. Yeah, I think he was born in 1944, mm-hmm. and he died in 1997. It was January 1st, which was kind of weird because Hank Williams also had died on January 1st, mm-hmm. New Year's Day. Yeah. So when you first met him, you were like 22? Yeah. And he would have been 25? He was about 25, mm-hmm. yeah. And, but at that point in the 60s, he, was, he wasn't as damaged as he would become, both by his, his wild life that was full of addictions to alcohol and, and hard drugs. He was a heroin addict at certain points in his life and cocaine and, you know, all that. But when I first met him, he was just this sweet kind of shaggy dog guy. Yeah. Thin as a rail with a face that even when he was young had this sort of craggy, handsome um Mount Rushmore kind of quality to it, you know, like a lot of the folk singers that came out of Texas, and they all seem to have that in common. Yeah. And uh, Kevin called up FMU one day and said who he was and that he had this singer who was just starting out, putting out his first album, and could he come by with this guy Towns Van Zandt? We said, sure, because we were open to have anybody come by, and we especially loved it when record companies would pay attention to us. Poppy Records was kind of a subsidiary at that point of RCA Records, which was a big major label okay. at the time. That was like the label that that Elvis right. Was so they on. had some clout. Yeah, um, and and RCA was their distributor. Yeah, and you know that was the company that got the records into the stores and stuff like that. So. Towns would come out to East Orange whenever he was in the New York area, and we got to become very friendly. He would generally come out by himself. I mean, I guess the first time he came, he probably came with with Kevin. Um, But after that, he would come out by himself, and he would stay in the apartment that I had with George, with George Black, George and I shared an apartment mm-hmm. for, for most of that period when we were on FMU. Um, you know, we always had an open couch for Towns. Mm-hmm. The girls loved him. <laughs> I mean, he was just, he was one of those guys that attracted a, a woman no matter where he went. And even years later when he was dissipated and and 
ill and haggard from the life of so much self-abuse, um, women would still fall in love with him. Yeah. You know, he was that kind of guy. Yeah. So we did radio a bunch of times. Unfortunately, I don't have any recordings of those very early visits uh, at, at FMU. But it was at FMU in 68, 69 that our friendship was made and, and solidified. So after we closed FMU down, I was unemployed. I had no plans other than that pipe dream. And uh, I got a phone call from Kevin Eggers. And Kevin said, well, what are you doing now that you're not on, on the radio anymore? And I said, I don't know, Kevin. Kevin said, you want to come work for me? Come to Poppy Records? I said, well, what would I do? And he said, well, we need a, we need a promotions guy. Now, the promotions director or whatever at a radio station was basically the person who attempted to influence radio and the press to get attention paid to the artists on the label, which I had no training for and, right. and no knowledge how to do and uh, very little understanding of what that was all about. And it wasn't anything I was even remotely interested in doing. But Kevin was going to pay me like $150 a week. Right. And I was going to ride the bus from East Orange into New York and work at this building that housed RCA on the corner of 43rd or 44th Street and 6th Avenue. And it was a real job. Yeah. You know, I couldn't not do it. And I basically uh, hid in my office. Was this when you made your newsletter? Yeah, the newsletter, Poppycock, because <laughs> it was Poppy Records. So the newsletter was Poppycock. And uh, I remember the, the, the one time I finally got, enough, got up enough nerve to actually call a DJ. And that was a guy who, at that point, was on WNEWFM. His name was Roscoe, Bill Mercer. He was a famous, famous DJ back in the day. Roscoe was um, a guy who would read poetry on the air, and he was one of those people that defined what the sound was in radio, you know, getting very intimate and close to the microphone. And mm -hmm. he had this beautiful, distinctive sort of black urban hipster voice and he was just you know he was roscoe he was one of the one of the kings he had come out of top 40 radio like a lot of people who became influential in the late 60s and, and early 70s the older guys like scott muni and and tom donahue out on the west coast were all guys who had been in radio for a while and um Generally, the story is that at, at a certain point they got turned on to marijuana or LSD or whatever. And yeah. they, they saw the light and they got involved in this whole different culture. Yeah. So uh, one of the artists that was on on Poppy Records was a, a comedian and political and um, wait, what happened when you called Roscoe? I'm, 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 oh. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> I see. So one of the artists on the label was this guy, Dick Gregory. Do you know Dick Gregory? No. Do you know? Dick Gregory was a black man. Um, part of uh, he came out of the civil rights movement, but he was a he was a comic, but he had an underlying and sometimes very um, powerful m message that fit in with the whole left-wing agenda of that time period, both in terms of 
being anti-war, anti-big government, anti-establishment, and for civil rights and the rights of the downtrodden everywhere. He was one of those people. He was, a, he was an older man. He was, he was an adult. He was in his 40s at that point, probably. And Poppy was putting out this record, Dick Gregory at Carnegie Hall. So I thought, this is perfect. This Roscoe's going to love this because this fit right into what Roscoe's approach to radio was all about. So it must have taken me a couple of weeks to work up enough courage to call the man because he was he was one of my radio heroes. And I was frightened of him. Well, he well, was, this was your job. You yeah, were supposed yeah, this to was, be calling DJ. I was, and I, I was like totally scared shitless to call Roscoe. So <laughs> I finally, he was on the air at night. And that was the only time you could even remotely reach him. Yeah. So I finally called the station. I got the number and I called the studio at night. And uh, I got through like his, uh, his assistant by saying that I I knew him, which I we had talked on the phone a couple of times over the course of the FMU story. So I s- said to the guy, you know, Vince Kelsey, I worked at FMU, and uh, uh, Roscoe knows who I am, and I just I want to tell him about this this Dick Gregory album. So okay, so I'm on hold for like a long period of time because he's on the air, he's doing his show, right? Which is like. That's not the time you're supposed to call these guys. You don't call them when they're on the air doing their show. So Roscoe finally picks up the the phone, and I tell him who I am, and I give him the whole spiel, and he goes, uh, I don't take calls from radio people, ever. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I just wanted you to know about... No, you don't understand. I don't take calls from radio people, ever. And he was like really nasty with the total opposite of of who he was on the air, which was this loving, you know, summer of love, gentle, love each other, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, send me the album and uh, and don't bother me, basically. So. That was it. That was the end of you my... You made one I, phone call I one, on your entire career yeah, as a I, publicity I was, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I, I, I hid in the office, and I made Poppycock, and we sent, <laughs> we sent Poppycock out to a mailing list that we got from RCA Records. So at a certain point, right around the end of the year, I had been there November. Shortly after I got there, Towns did a concert at Carnegie Hall with Dick Gregory and with um, a rock band that was a very um, kind of esoteric electronica rock band called the Mandrake Memorial from Philadelphia. Sure. These three artists did a night of poppy artists at Carnegie Hall on the night before Thanksgiving, 1969. And a recording of that, of Towns' portion of that night, just came out like about five or six years ago, um, after all these years, been, been sitting in somebody's closet somewhere. So that was, that was like the high point of my months at uh, Poppy Records until January, when it became clear that Kevin was going to have to find something else for me to do or get so rid of this me. This was January of 1970? Of 1970. 
And he, uh, he called me into his office and he said, look, Towns is about to go out on the road. Uh, he's playing the college coffee house circuit, which was a thing back in those days where somebody could go out and spend literally almost a week at colleges that participated in this program, playing every night, five nights of the week at the coffee house or the student center or wherever there was a hangout. Most big universities and colleges had, quote, coffee houses at the time. And that was a place where solo artists could come and, and entertain. And Towns was just getting over a bad case of uh, hepatitis. Mm-hmm. And he was drinking a lot. Mm-hmm. And Kevin said, uh, well, I want you to go out on the road with Towns and basically keep him alive. Literally. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you mean? Because Towns is his own man. I, I can't. He said, well, he's committed to the idea, but we just need somebody with him to make sure that he stays out of bars and that he doesn't drink and that he doesn't get involved with people who are going to give him drugs and, you know, all that. Because he knows that, that it'll kill him. Right. Literally, if he goes back on booze, it'll kill him. So I said, well, yeah, okay, great, because that meant I didn't have to go into the office. I didn't have to <laughs> lock myself into the, into the, you know, that room and do poppycock, which is all I could do. Poppycock, by the way, I think was also a, f a form of um, caramel popcorn. Okay. I think there was such a thing yeah. at the time. And I said that Milton Glaser, the, f the famous art guy, designed the cover for me because he was the guy who designed the logo for Poppy Records, yeah. the Poppy breaking through the urban sidewalk. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool, too. So I went out on the road with Towns for about a month mid-January to mid-February in that winter of Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love. Right. Every place where we went. And this was in basically central and north central U.S. And you guys were driving. We drove Towns' car. He had just gotten himself a brand new Plymouth. I don't know what the make of the car was, but it was a blue you know, it was one of those long 60s cars, you know. And uh, Towns drove. Sometimes he'd let me drive. But Towns was the was the, the big brother, you know. Towns mm -hmm. was like, uh, Towns was the, the experienced hand. He mm -hmm. had been out on the road. I had never been out on the road like that. And we went from one college to another, big Midwestern universities. I would watch him attract a couple of girls and then one girl would become the girl of that week <laughs> i would watch him write new songs sometimes when i was driving mm -hmm. he'd be in the back with his guitar and just kind of you know noodling and before you know it a song would appear and i was aware of the fact that i had witnessed him writing a new song and every place where we went, a whole lot of love was blasting <laughs> from the speakers of every student union. And that was a bonding experience, certainly. Did he did you guys get along? Oh as yeah. Friends? Yeah. We were we were we were as close as we could be given that Towns was a a genius 
And because of that, he was a bit of an alien. Yeah. You know, um, and Towns had such a different set of experiences, had lived such a different life than I lived that there was a point where we couldn't. Yeah. You know, we weren't going to get any closer than that. Uh, and one of my favorite stories that I've told many, many times on the radio is when Towns and I uh, were traveling on a Sunday night in the middle of a snowstorm someplace in Wisconsin or Illinois or someplace like that, driving through the endless flat white cornfields that were just covered with snow and being the only car out on the road. And um, we had, we would smoke marijuana because mm-hmm. Towns could deal with that. He could, mm-hmm. he could be a, a casual, you know, joiner to a day marijuana smoker and it wouldn't affect. And his... was he listening to you? Was he not drinking? He was not drinking. Okay. No, he was not drinking. We, that was the year that um, uh, Sesame Street started on television. So we would um, check into a, a motel and in the late afternoon, before we'd go over to the to the coffee house for the gig, we try to find Sesame Street on the on the TV because we were both real big Sesame Street fans, and we'd smoke a joint <laughs> and we'd watch you know two 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 the number two <laughs> all that psychedelic stuff that yeah. they were doing on yeah. Sesame Street at the yeah. time. But uh, we, I don't want to really tell the story because because I, I have this recording that I want to play, but but basically we. We were stopped by uh, a state patrolman, highway patrolman, and we thought, I thought we were going to die. Right. You know, I thought, because it was like the winter after the film Easy Rider had come out where anybody who had any of the accoutrements and, and, and the look of of a hippie left wing weirdo, you guys weirdo. Are yeah, you know, <laughs> and we had marijuana in the car, you know, so I figured we were dead. We were going to just disappear in the middle of this snowstorm, in the middle of this field, and nobody would ever hear from us again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Towns was cooler than that. Towns was like, oh, don't worry about it, Vinny. He, he was one of those people who called me Vinny. Yeah. There, there's a select handful of people from the the early to mid-70s, that if they were close to me, they that was what they called me. It was mm-hmm. a term of endearment. Allison Steele would call me Vinny and Scott Muni and Jonathan Schwartz and people like that. <laughs> so Towns said, don't worry about it. You know, we'll be okay. I said, but Towns, there's, there's grass in the car. We, we, I, you know, had rolled down the window to get the smell out because we had smoked a joint a little bit earlier. I said, we don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. And there's a cop coming over. And he said, eh. so a cop comes over and, you know, does the whole license and registration thing. And where are you from? And and uh, I said, well, we're, we're from New York. And, and the cop said, well, if you're from New York, what are you doing driving a car with Texas license plates? And Towns is like, well, officer, this is my my car, you know, and it's registered in Texas. And I'm Towns Van Zandt, and I'm a, a folk singer, and uh, we're traveling to uh, the University of whatever in Platteville, Wisconsin, or someplace. And and uh, the cop is just looking at us, you know, and he's like, all right. 
Town said, I, I've got some records in, in the trunk. Can I give you a record for you and your, you know, your lady or whatever? And the cop is like, oh. So all of a sudden the <laughs> cop is like, we're going to get a freebie out of this. So, so Towns gets out of the car and he opens the trunk. And we had a couple of boxes of records. And he uh, gives the guy a copy of two or three albums, you know. And at that point, the cop was like, Towns had won him over, right. just the way he Charmed. won over girls and charmed, you know, yeah. everything else. And uh, the cop said, so where are you guys going now? And Towns said, well, you know, whatever the name of the school was. And the cop said, well, I think you're, hold on, I think you're going in the wrong direction. And he goes back to the car and he's gone for a few minutes and then he comes back and he says, yeah, you know what, follow me and I'll take you to this spot and then from there you make a right and get on the interstate and you can go to the next stop. And that's what happened. But for about 15 or 20 minutes, I literally saw my life. <laughs> and instead you got like a police escort. Yeah, we got a police escort out of that county and into the, to the state line, into Wisconsin <laughs> or whatever the next state was. Yeah. So that was my, my, my early days with towns. Yeah. So unfortunately, I don't have any of the recordings that we made together on on FMU. He was on WABC-FM with me several times over the years. Somewhere in, in a storage locker, there's some recordings from that era. But the recording that I want to play for you on this episode of our podcast is from 1978, when Towns visited me on WNEW-FM on Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. So it was May. I don't have the actual date in front of me, but it was it was May 18th or something like that. And it was Sunday morning. I was doing the show from 8 to noon on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I was going to have a guest, it would usually be in the 11 o'clock hour. Now, I became known in my my second half of my career for keeping people on the air for hours on end you know you could you could get in a car and tune in and i'd be with so and so and and then you'd go to dinner and go to a movie and get in the car and tune in and i'd still be with so and so mm-hmm. 3 hours later you know yeah. you witnessed a lot of those shows yourself <laughs> but uh i i i couldn't get away with that at, at NEW but they would let me spend time with uh, a guest. And so what you're about to hear is um, about 40 minutes or so of uh, a show that Towns did live on WNEW-FM on Mother's Day. Uh, He sings a couple of songs. And we've explained before that the reason why there's no music on this podcast and on most podcasts is that people cannot afford to pay the royalties that are... Uh, necessary um, to to play recorded music but you can play if a singer was sitting in the studio with us right now they could sing any number of songs and it would be fine there was there's no royalty involved there because it's their own song and they give us permission to play the the live performance of it so what I've done is I've taken the recordings and I basically um, shortened them the couple of recordings that I played. Mm-hmm. But anything that Towns does live and all of the conversation we had is 
what you're about to hear. And I've left the commercials in mm-hmm. because, again, this is 1978 now. That's a long time ago. I know. <laughs> a couple of years before you were born. Yep. And I think it's kind of fun to hear the commercials. So uh, we'll probably just play it in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you, you can you know, ask me whatever yeah, you yeah. want to ask me. But I listened to it earlier today. And I was just really kind of uh, touched by it. It, uh, it brought me back to another time and place in my life. In much the same way that listening to those FMU yeah. tapes. But this has this other guy who you know, has been dead now for a couple of decades and who uh, has become a a legendary figure in American um, country folk music. So this was in 1978, Towns Van Zandt on WNEW-FM, and it begins with my making reference to whatever recordings I had just played, but I don't even know what they are Mm -hmm. because this is exactly where the tape of that appearance begins. This is WNEW-FM in New York. I'm Vince Gelsa. That music there to kind of uh, set the scene for a special guest who will join us right after these words. With S-B and all those bills, I need more money for living. That's why I bought low-cost savings bank life insurance. I'm 30, so I got a $30,000 five-year term plan for less than it costs to fill up at the gas station, just $8.70 a month. SBLI has a variety of plans, so pick up your consumer's guide to low-cost life insurance free at savings banks all over New York State. It has rates, advice, and the one thing we all need to know about life insurance, how to buy it at low cost. episode of Between the Wars continues its study of the dynamics of power as Hitler's Germany begins its relentless march across Europe. See the contrast between Hitler's use of power in a military dictatorship and Franklin D. Roosevelt's use of power in a political democracy. Eric Severide narrates FDR and Hitler Part 2. The next episode in Mobile Showcase presents Between the Wars. 
That's Wednesday, 7.30 on Channel 5. Interesting um, concert coming up soon. We mentioned it uh, a bit earlier in the show, and I'll lay it on you again right now. John Shear is proud to present a gala benefit concert to uh, elect Bill Bradley to the U.S. Senate. And this concert will be hosted by Paul Simon, and it will feature the Patti Smith Group, Melissa Manchester, and some of the members of the Not Ready for Prime Time Players. Those members will be um, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Bill Murray, and Gilda Radner. Also appearing the Stanky Brown Group. And this will take place May 23rd at 7.30 p.m. at the Rutgers Athletic Center in Piscataway, New Jersey. Tickets are $6.50 and $7.50 and $8.50. And there are special VIP seats going for $20. For information, you can call 201-778-2888. That's May 23rd, 7.30 p.m at uh, the Rutgers Athletic Center in Piscataway, New Jersey. The Patti Smith Group, Melissa Manchester, some of the folks from the Not Ready for Primetime Players, Stanky Brown, and host Paul Simon, in a benefit to elect Bill Bradley to the U.S. Senate. This commercial was paid for by the Bill Bradley for U.S. Senate Committee. Six minutes past 11 o'clock this Sunday morning at WNEW-FM in New York. I have an old friend with me here in the studio on this mother's day i have an old i have an old mother with me here in the studio this morning towns van Zandt. good morning hello good morning Benny. it's so nice to see you again nice to see you again we were talking about you this morning i didn't tell anybody that you were going to be here because um it's one of the prime rules of live radio Keep your mother in the dark. Exactly, exactly. Especially with mothers who were musicians, as well. And when you when you try and get them up early in the morning to get them on the radio, you never can be quite sure if they're going to make it. So I didn't mention anything. Well, but it, I have. Hey, Vinny, I have. This is such a nice opportunity to be on the radio on Mother's Day that uh, I'd like to wish all them mothers out there. <laughs> <laughs> a real happy Mother's Day. I mean, really. I, I phoned you know, my mom this morning. You know, how is she? She's fine. Good. Where, where's your mom living these days? Houston. She's still in Texas, which is where you're originally from, from Texas, and that's kind of why I played Jerry Jeff Walker and Guy Clark because I imagine you've spent uh, some time hanging out with those. You know, guys. Jerry Jeff uh, had a new baby. No, I didn't. His wife had a Susan had a baby about three months ago. Well, and a happy, baby girl, Jerry Jeffett. Happy Happy Mother's Day to Jerry. To Jeff Susan, yeah, Susan. Happy Mother's yeah. Day, Susan. Really, home these days for you is um, Nashville, though, right, or outside of Nashville? Uh, Seventy-eight Chevrolet. That's home. Yeah. Wherever you can park it. Now towns. <laughs> Normally, when people come up on on uh, on the show, generally I meet them for the first time when they come up on the show. And it's, there's there's always this feeling, there's this little tension and this little kind of nervous thing if it's going to work or not, if the personalities are going to mesh or not. Towns and I, I have to tell you, are not meeting for the first time this morning. Towns and I used to hang out together many years ago. I once worked for a record company during one of my off-the-radio periods, and it was the same record company that Towns recorded for. And, um, and Towns and I actually went on the road together we toured the midwest wisconsin and uh and lower chicago yeah some other south side yeah i mean we were in uh, a lot of strange places like uh plattsville am plattsville wisconsin plattsville we remember plattsville through, we came through plattsville plattsville wisconsin has uh wooden sidewalks <laughs> remember it had raised wooden sidewalks and you bought a pair of boots there i remember 
I'm doing you and a belt. Well, Towns and I spent a lot of time hanging out in Dairy Queens in the Midwest. So, so he is no stranger to me. And I would like for him not to be a stranger to you either. He is a man who has been making albums for a number of years. And I've always referred to you, Towns, as one of American music's best kept secrets. Oh, and hopefully, shucks. hopefully that's changing. Hopefully that's changing. People more and more are beginning to get turned on to your music. Well, I ain't been kept too well lately. Who's keeping you? Well, I have a red-haired wife for about three years now. That's doing her best to keep me. Uh -huh. But it's a hard road to hold, man. I I travel with John Lee Hooker, you know, and blah 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 blah. blah, blah. It's a hard road to hold. Really. John Lee. Now you and you and John Lee just got finished with a gig out on Long Island out of my father's I, place. My father's place yeah. Are you touring together? Well, up until last night, and now uh, he goes to New Hampshire, and I go to Boston, and then he comes to Boston the next day. So we stay like two gig one, you know. We're the next gig after the next right. for about two weeks, and I think we come together again in St. Louis. That must be an incredible oh, experience. He's fun to play with, man. He's got a band that's the Coast to Coast Blues Man. Uh -huh. With uh, John Garcia on uh, lead guitar, who's just real serious guitar player, and uh, Wild Bill Randolph from Dallas on the bass, and uh, Deacon Jones on the organ. You used to play with Freddie King. Sure, yeah. And uh, the frantic one, Larry Martin on the drums. <laughs> and you're working with musicians as well this time. Yeah, I have a. I'm on this tour. Uh, I got a. Guitar player, two acoustic guitars, mine and, and uh, Rooster Roland, Danny Rooster Roland from uh, Nashville and uh, Owen Cody from El Paso. And it's really nice. When we went on the road, we figured, well, you can't out boogie John Lee. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, that's so for sure. go acoustic, right? And it's well, working out real good. You've got a, a beautiful acoustic guitar with you this morning. Yeah, okay, I got a new one. All sorts of lovely inlaid stuff in it, man. It's a beautiful guitar. And Thanks. I want you to play. I appreciate you telling all the muggers. <laughs> all the mothers? Did you say all the mothers? <laughs> happy muggers oh, day. Oh, the muggers. Play, play something for us, sweet towns, please. Okay, well, let's see if I'm... Sounds like the gear. I'm going to play this song, uh, Rex's Blues, about a friend of mine who is so ugly that when he was born, the doctor slapped his mother. <laughs> oh, you can't say that oh, on, yeah, sorry. on Mother's sorry, Day. Mom. Come on now. Okay, this is called Rex's Blues. It's really hard to get over how nice it is to be here with uh, Vinny. It's, it's hard to get over. This is called Rex's Blues. misery leave you low come time to go alone and low as low can be well if i had a nickel i'd find a game if i won a dollar i'd make it rain if it rained an ocean i'd drink it dry and lay me down dissatisfied Legs to walk and thoughts to fly 
Eyes to laugh and lips to cry A restless tongue to classify All born to grow and grown to die Tell my baby I said so long Tell my mother I did no wrong Tell my brother to watch his own Tell my friends to mourn me none All chained upon the face of time Feeling full of foolish rhyme there ain't no dark till something shines I'm bound to leave this dark behind Everybody skate backwards <laughs> Well ride the blue wind high and free She'll lead you down through misery Leave you low, come time to go Alone and low as low can be mm, That's a nice one. Thanks. Rex's Blues. Rex's Blues, yeah. Towns of Anzant, my guest this morning here at WNEW-FM in New York. Towns is uh, appearing in the city tomorrow night and Tuesday night, right? Uh-huh, at the, at, Lone, at Star. the Lone Star Cafe downtown. That's a, is that the second time you've been there? Or, uh, second time. Yeah, it was... Um, I'm trying to remember when that other time was. I floated it was about in. six, eight months ago. Yeah, I, I, fl I floated in in the middle of the night one night. And uh -huh. There were all these, there uh -huh. were all these women the sitting at the bar giving you eyes, man. <laughs> really? Yeah. They were all my wife. Uh, all of them. Yeah, she's a schizophrenic. Happy Mother's Day. You know, I went to the doctor in Madison. In Madison, I told him I thought I might be a schizophrenic. He said, "Man, that makes four of us." For those of you, <laughs> sorry, man. For those of you who are unfamiliar with um, with Towns, he is um, famous throughout the nation for his bad jokes. Bad jokes. For his bad jokes, it wouldn't be a Towns Van Zandt appearance without two or three of those, and that's two so far. You 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 pulled on me this morning, Towns. You're almost at your limit. <laughs> Will you do Poncho and Lefty? Sure, man. I was just gearing up for it. Okay. People ask me where this song comes from. Let me tell y'all real fast. I played Dallas. I played downtown Dallas one time when uh, Billy Graham was playing uh, the Coliseum. He drew, he, I mean not drew, he uh, drew 500,000 young people and I drew 11 winos. I played for three nights, these same 11 guys. Then I went down to uh, Houston where the Guru Maharaji was uh, at the Astrodome. And I played uptown, you know, and uh, I drew the same 11 guys because I'd ridden down with them from Dallas. So I always say this song is about Billy Graham and the Guru Maharaji, but... I don't, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it is, Towns. 
Why don't you travel with those guys? Why don't you travel with Big Get On Billy Graham's revival show? You know? I ask you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like John Lee Hooker anyway. <laughs> Well, this is called Pancho and Lefty. It's a medley of my hit. Living on the road, my friend, was gonna keep you free and clean. Now you wear your skin like iron Your breath's as hard as kerosene You weren't your mama's only boy But her favorite one it seems She began to cry when you said goodbye Sank into your dreams Poncho was a bandit boys his horse was fast as polished steel Wore his gun outside his pants For all the honest world to feel Poncho met his match, you know On the deserts down in Mexico And nobody heard his dying words That's the way it goes And all the say they could have had him any day and only let him hang around out of kindness I suppose well lefty he can't sing the blues all night long like he used to dust the poncho bit down south ended up in lefty's mouth the day they laid poor Poncho low, Lefty split for Ohio, and where he got the bread to go, ain't nobody knows. And all the federales say they could have had him any day, they only let him slip away. Out of kindness, I suppose. Now the poets tell how Pancho fell, left his living in a cheap hotel. The desert's quiet and Cleveland's cold. So the story ends, we're told. Poncho needs your prayers, it's true. To save a few for Lefty, too. He just did what he had to do. Now he's growing old. And a few great federales say, they could have had him any day They only let him go so wrong Out of kindness, I suppose 
A few gray federales say They could have had a mini day They only let them go so wrong Out of kindness, I suppose Well, for a man who uh, tells such bad jokes, <laughs> you sure do write good songs. When well, is somebody... That, that's the nicest thing anybody said to me for about four <laughs> weeks, man. Somebody has to make a movie of that song. Well, I'm going to get Tony Perkins to star. Definitely. In it. Definitely. <laughs> I've, uh, people have... Th this is not TV. This is not oh, TV, and a lot of folks don't know what you look like, but there is a definite resemblance between you and Tony Perkins. I was... Well, when people always, they come up to me and they say either one of two things. They say, boy, you look like Tony Perkins, or else they say, boy, you look tired. <laughs> so I figure Tony Perkins is the lesser of two evils. Shall we listen to Emmy Lou Harris's version of that same yeah, song? Yeah, that would be nice to hear that. Towns Van Zandt, Pancho, and Lefty. Happy Mother's Day, y'all. Thank the powers that be for Emmy Lou, huh? And for putting that one down on vinyl and introducing a lot of people to the songs of Towns Van Zandt. Pancho and Lefty, Emmy Lou's version of it appears on her album Luxury Liner. Towns' version of it appears on an album called The Late Great Late Towns Great. Van Zandt. Um, obviously, that album title was a joke because he, the man is still very much uh, alive and well and, and, and with us. Was that your joke, that title? Well, it was myself and Kevin, you know, who ran Poppy and now runs Tomato Records. Because uh, it's, on, it's on, on a level. It cost my mother $40 in phone calls. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> all the relatives and friends calling up, what happened to Towns? My goodness. And all my relatives call collect. You know? <laughs> this is WNEW-FM in New York. Um, you do one more for us, and then we got to put you on the road and get you up to Boston. Yeah. My goodness, you're driving up to Boston now, and then you're driving back to the city, to New York, to play the Lone Star tomorrow. Well, uh, the boys are driving back. I'm riding in the parlor car on the uh, East Coast Limited. Living on the road, they said. <laughs> Let me do these uh, commercial things here, and then we'll get right back to Towns Van Zandt, my guest this morning. Garland Jeffries. If he doesn't send you rocket, he'll send you reeling. You know you got me is the new single from Garland Jeffries and Phoebe Snow. Reelin is from One-Eyed Jack, the new album from Garland Jeffries on A&M Records and Tapes. Nothing can stop him now. I like the feeling. 
Garland Jeffries is appearing at the bottom line Monday and Tuesday. The shows are sold out, and we will be doing a live broadcast from the bottom line on Tuesday night with Garland Jeffries. His new album available at Sam Goody's, four ninety nine for the LP and five forty nine for the tape. Torpedo exercise, Atlantic range. Open outer doors, tube number two. The warhead, a dummy. The target, an unmanned drone. But when you are in charge of the tracking table, the tension feels just like the real thing. Bearing 209er, mark. $400 million worth of submarines, 160 men. And for this one moment, all of it is focused on you. Fire. Fire two. Ask your recruiter or anyone who's been there. The Navy, it's not just a job, it's an adventure. If you're looking for adventure but want to finish school first, look into the Navy's delayed entry program. It lets you join now but not report for up to 12 months. That means you can uh, finish school, tie up loose ends, enjoy the summer before starting your Navy adventure. And if you're qualified, you'll get technical training in specialized career fields, advanced electronics, aviation mechanics, nuclear propulsion, etc. Speak to your local Navy recruiter. Do you ever want to, do you ever want to join the Navy? I tried to join the Air Force once. I remember there was some story about you trying to yeah. join the Air Force. You didn't make it. They wouldn't touch me with a 20-foot Concord, man. <laughs> I'm just I'm just going to sit back and then... This is like old home week. Right? Yeah, really. <laughs> Look, I should say that uh, we're playing at the, the uh, Lone Star Cafe manana and the day after. Right. Yeah, Monday, Monday and Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. Two shows each night, right? Yeah, and I have a new album out called Flying Shoes. I have a farm in Tennessee that the song Flying Shoes is about, which ain't the one I'm going to play, but that's my new album on Tomato Records. And uh, I've been traveling mostly with John Lee Hooker, who's got a new album on Tomato Records, and the, one of the hottest bands I've ever seen, called the Coast to Coast Blues Band from... Uh, they're all from Gilroy, right. California. Right. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, early this morning around 8.30, um, people will be happy to know that all of your early albums, which have yeah, re-released. Uh, they've been hard to find, out of print, and they've not only been re-released, but they've been cleaned up because there was some terrible yeah, that's nice, um, process with the pr printing of those albums the first time around, and they were really noisy. And they've taken them and cleaned them well, up. Well, it was years ago, you know. It's, uh, the primitive days of, uh, of music. Know. Me and Robert Johnson. You do one more for us, Tim. See this RJ on my guitar? That doesn't stand for Robert Johnson. What do you think? It's Rick Jones or something? That's not. Was that, that was not Robert Johnson's guitar. No, but it was made for him <coughs> shortly after he passed away. Well, what, 30 years after he passed away. Yeah, what good was it to him? Let's don't get esoteric, man. Let me play this song and head for Boston. Okay. Well, I'm playing a mosh, y'all. This is called uh, the Buckskin Stallion Blues. I'll be tuning a split second. Plus, another happy happy Mother's Day to y'all that are listening. Uh, I called my mother this morning. Uh, I can't afford flowers, but I gave her a collect call at least, you know. 
<laughs> well, all your family calls collect, right? <laughs> well, we, we have a whole circle of collect calls going sooner or later. When the last guy in our family is left alive, he's going to get stuck with like an $800 phone bill. <laughs> okay, well, this is called the Buckskin Stain Blues. This will be on my next record. I heard her sing in tongues of silver, heard her cry on a summer storm. I loved her, but she did not know it, and I don't think about her anymore. Now she's gone, and I can't believe it. So I don't think about her anymore If two and three were seven only Where would that leave one and two? If love can be and still be lonely Where does that leave me and you? Time there was and time there will be where does that leave me and you? Now if I hit a buckskin stallion Just like on them heartbreak commercials If I hit a buckskin stallion Is that what that is? A buckskin stallion on those commercials? No, that's a guy smoking cigarettes on them commercials And Dick Gregory told me one time but see, you can't, if you're born in a, the slums or something, you can't never own a horse. But you can sure get a cigarette. You know what I mean? That's why they took those things off TV. They take them off? Sure. Where you been for the last five, six years? <laughs> I've been on the road, man. <laughs> they, they, don't have, they don't have cigarette advertising on television anymore. <laughs> this should be called the uh, cigarette stay in blues. Let me finish this for you. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm Thank sorry, Tess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I had a buckskin stallion, I'd tame him down and ride away. And if I had a flying schooner, I'd sail into the light of day. If I had your love forever, Sail into the light of day Pretty songs in pretty places Places that I've never seen Pretty songs and pretty faces Tell me what their laughter means Some look like they'll cry forever Tell me what their laughter means If I had a buckskin stallion I'd tame him down right away And if I had a golden galleon I'd sail into the light of day If I had your love forever Sail into the light of day.
I'm so, I apologize for interrupting you in the middle of that. I thought I interrupted. That's a nice song. Thanks. Towns Van Zandt will be appearing at the Lone Star Cafe. Have any of I, have I, have I got one more second? Yeah, I'll sure. Tell a little story about that song. Sure. I wrote that song up in the mountains. Me and uh, my horse had been tied to a telephone pole for two weeks. He was eating rocks. And I was wait, 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 wait. You were tied to a telephone pole? You well, and the horse? No. No, that's just tied, what, that's what you just said. I was tied to the telephone pole, and he was hanging out in this. Oh, yeah. all right. Now <laughs> it makes sense. No, he was tied to the telephone pole and getting real mad. And finally, we got out of town, this little town, Crested Butte, Colorado. And we went up into the mountains, and we got, and this friend of mine gave me a half a bottle of uh, wild turkey that I tied to my saddle. I feel one coming. I feel one of these real bad jokes no, coming. No, this ain't a joke. This oh. is true. And we and we sat down there, me and uh, Amigo was the horse's name. And there was this giant field of mountain daisies that just went all the way up to Timberline. But when I looked at them, and uh, I decided I was going to pick one and put it in my hat band. And I wrote that song to it, Brother Flower. I mean, no, this is a whole different song. Yeah. Buckskin Stain Blues, yeah. I wrote that song to it and then picked it and put it in my hat band. Boy, now, I guess I'm just going to have to live till I die. But this well, is Mother's Day, so let's don't think about that. My goodness. My <laughs> goodness. You get on the road, go on up to Boston and come back to New York tomorrow. Lone Star Cafe, Monday and Tuesday. We'll see you there. I thank you very much for uh, um, coming by this morning. Again. Towns Van Zant. While you're uh, on your way out, we'll play a song from oh, the new album from Flying Shoes. I really thanks. like this one. Thanks. Ronstadt's rendition of that Warren Zevon song, Carmelita, and Towns Van Zant from his new album, Flying Shoes, No Place to Fall. Uh, again, my thanks uh, to Towns for stopping by this morning, sharing some of his music with us. He is such a, he is such a quiet, gentle, beautiful man. I can, I can say that. He wouldn't let me say that to his face, I'm sure. And, and his songs are um, so human and so fragile. And I've often said that that's one of the reasons why, why, for instance, they don't get played very much on the radio. 
<laughs> because there's because radio is like uh, radio is noise you know radio is noise radio is like bam 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 i don't mean noise like in a negative way i just mean that there's um there aren't very many times in radio when you can just sort of be fragile you know what i mean because you can't control who's listening to radio you know you can be very fragile you can be fragile like you can be fragile in madison square garden you know if the right i mean i when paul simon did that um benefit a while back for the public library just paul on stage and you know twenty thousand people and and it was fragile because you can control that environment you can't do that with radio at all and that's um that's one of the things i love about towns's music and his poetry is just you listen to his songs and days later you go oh my you finally flash on a line or something anyhow check the check the man's workout Check the man's workout. And he'll be at the Lone Star Monday and Tuesday night. And this is WNEWFM in New York. And it's, uh, oh, 13 minutes before 12. I think I'm going to be here later than usual this morning. Richard Neer is playing softball, I believe, over in the park with the WNEWFM All-Stars. So we still have some time to spend together. And we'll get back to music right after these words. Hey, New York. What? The New York Times is bringing more jobs, more real estate, and more car listings to New York and Long Island than ever before. Really? Really. If you're looking for anything in the New York City area, chances are you're going to find it right in the Times. Would you have a job for a pastry chef in a three-star restaurant? How about a contemporary ranch house with lots of yards on Staten Island? I want a corner storefront in Flushing for my moped shop. We have a loft in Soho? Or a job for a building superintendent. Renovate a brownstone in the Philly. A job as an executive secretary? Or a dental technician? Manufacturer's rent. You just try us. The New York Times has what you want in cars, jobs, and in real estate. A little silver sports car with all the options. A floor through in Brooklyn Heights. How about a real plum of a publishing job in Manhattan? New York, no matter what you're looking for, there's never been a better time than now to find it in the Times. The new New York Times. We've got what you want right where you live. Corvettes, the world's largest seller of records and tapes, presents the band's album, The Last Waltz. This three records set on Warner Brothers features the band, of course, Rick Danko, Levon Helm, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, Robbie Robertson, and their special guests, Eric Clapton, Neil Diamond, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Ringo Starr, Neil Young, Van Morrison, Paul Butterfield, Muddy Waters, the list is endless. Through Saturday, Corvettes is featuring the last waltz on sale at just eight eighty-eight. That's for the complete three records set, nine ninety-eight on tape. Take advantage of this sensational sale at Corvettes. Pick up a copy of The Last Waltz from the band. That last song we played from Linda Ronstadt, that's a, a Warren Zevon song, Carmelita Is. So let us hear from Mr. Z. We're going to conjure up... Uh, some creatures here. Gonna check out the werewolves of London.
Listening to uh, all those corny jokes from towns affected that last set of music there. <laughs> Not necessarily corny songs, but all put together a kind of um, corny joke. Huh? Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London, Talking Heads, Psycho Killer, and Del Shannon's Runaway. Just about 12 noon on this Sunday, WNEW-FM in New York. Normally, uh, uh, my portion of uh, Sunday's entertainment on the radio ends at 12 noon, but I'm going to be around for a while. Uh, sitting in for Richard while he uh, wraps up the WNEW-FM All-Stars New Center for softball game in the park. So I'll be back with you right after the news, okay? I'm Vince Gelsa. This is WNEW-FM New York. Good afternoon. It's cloudy and 62 degrees at noon. Rain is expected today. Maybe a thunderstorm this afternoon. Mayor Koch is upset over the Daily News story claiming he's padded his budget. Two men are found dead in a fire in a Bronx candy store, and Sadat lashes out at his critics. In sports, the Yanks get back at the Royals. The Mets lose. Montreal is one up on Boston in the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm Sam Rosen, WNEW News. And there you have a little slice of radio broadcasting history. An air check from May of 1978, WNEW-FM, complete with the news and the news beetle, that sound effect, that... That's called the beetle. And uh, I, I, I thought it was, it was kind of fun to let it play beyond towns because it's interesting to hear what radio sounded like back then i think i mean there's so many people listening to this podcast who never heard that kind of radio yeah and you know i had to cut out the bulk of the songs we just heard the beginning and the end of the recorded songs but i think it's uh, it's enough to give you a feeling of what radio sounded like and yet if i can tout my own accomplishments there really wasn't any other radio that sounded quite like what I was doing yeah. back then. I mean, I know that sounds weird to say that, the, but it's Well, on true, commercial you know. radio, people just weren't allowed to spend that much time with guests. Yeah. They still aren't. And, and, I mean, it's not completely true. There were people who, who had a very folksy, personal attachment to the audience. I mean, we all kind of had that, but there's something about what I did that I think now in in retrospect like when I think back to all of the response I got earlier this year when I retired and all of the accolades mm -hmm. you know um, there has to be a reason for that that sets me apart well I think I mean listening to this recording so you were around 30 yeah. Then, right? Yeah, and he right. would have been around 35 during this recording? Uh, 33. Oh, 33, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. You said he was only three years older. Yeah. Um, oh, so young. Now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that yeah. seems so young to me now. Um, I mean, it's you can tell you have a camaraderie because you know each other well, but there is also something to be said for the fact that I think with all of your guests, you always gave them a lot of room mm. to feel comfortable and to feel out their own vibe. I mean, he's such a slow-talking 
guy who's going to make his corny jokes mm-hmm. and kind of take his time tuning and for that to be on commercial radio in New York on a Sunday morning I mean it's we live in a much more fast-paced world right now where you mm-hmm. just wouldn't let someone like take that kind of time and have that kind of space yeah so I think like maybe that's the difference but also I just think that you you never had an agenda with your guests for how fast, how quickly something had to happen, what you had to talk about, what they had to, how it needed to go. And I can only assume if I were a musician and going on the radio and dealing with a whole lot of people, you know, being like, all right, we got five minutes, tell your story, or, that, that you gave them space to, to feel their own vibe yeah I, I like that the way you put that thank you which is very generous yeah. it's a very generous thing to do i mean it was your show it's not unheard of that someone would have an agenda and be like okay we do five minutes with our guests and this is how it's gonna go and you never you were always very like oh we'll just see what happens and what do you want to play and what do you want to and in in a way it was um totally a selfish act on my part because i was yeah. enjoying having this time with these people you know and i wanted it to last longer and i wanted another song from them and i wanted another corny joke from towns yeah that's why it worked was because your only agenda was that you so enjoyed listening to these people and that that's you wanted to share that with an audience mm. and i think that's a pretty rare agenda to base a career off of especially for someone who's in some way in the spotlight i mean that's the kind of person who becomes a producer an agent that's almost a behind the scenes kind of person that's like listen i just i have this thing that i love and i want to kind of facilitate it coming out there so the fact that you were in a public position to be that person and your public position I mean, your public position was never about, look at me, I'm amazing. I mean, you were always, it wasn't, which is what allowed you to quit mm. all the times that you quit. Because you're like, screw this. I, I'm, doing, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. I'm doing this because it's fun and because I want to share these things and I want to listen to music and I want to share it with people. Like, you know, someone with a bigger ego, I mean, listen, we all have big egos. It's like, but but someone who had more invested in being like, I must be in the public eye, wouldn't quit and be off the air for years and years because your priority would be, I must, the people must mm-hmm. hear me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I was never off the air for years and years. I was off the air for about two and a half years in yeah. the 80s. But it, you went off, you would go off and be like, I'm never coming back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because it it there never seemed like there was going to be another place that would put up with me. Right. But I lucked out, and for forty seven years there were places that put up with me, <laughs> and r- recognized some value in in what I did. And I do think actually it is it's something that happens with good interviewers. It's something that I do feel like. You know, Terry Gross, and when I was talking about Michael Ian Black being a good interviewer, people who are good interviewers do kind of fade into the background. Mm-hmm. Like, there was an article recently about Terry Gross where she was talking about, oh, it's better if people don't know about me. I want to just disappear. And 
her whole thing and the thing that good interviewers have is, you know, they obviously just love stories. They love hearing about people. They love knowing how people turned out the way they did what. And so it's not, you know, Terry Gross's name is on her show, but what she's bringing to it and what she's sharing is obviously this love of hearing these stories. Mm. I don't know what Terry Gross looks like. I, Don't I, you remember she was at, she also got an award when you got the, what's it called? The Deems. Oh, the Deems Taylor thing Deems from Taylor. ASCAP? She got an award. Oh, no, no, no. no her no. husband did. Oh, her husband yeah. got an award. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For li- liner notes That's or what something. it was. Yeah. She, but she was there that night. We were like, that's Terry Gross. Oh. That's what it was. Her husband got an award that night. Yeah. And, uh, right. <laughs> but so I think it ha- it's not like... It doesn't happen. It definitely happens that, and I think people who are successful in radio and in any kind of industry where you're talking to people, it's because they love talking to people. They love hearing people's stories. But maybe where it's rare is it's maybe rare in the commercial music world to have someone in a position in commercial radio Mm -hmm. be able to be like, Towns, just play me some songs. Mm. So let me ask you this, as long as we're talking about the interview style and the interview technique, since you published your book uh, earlier this autumn, you've been interviewed a, a, a bunch of times um, on radio shows and um, for blogs and podcasts and things. How has it been for you being on on that end of the interview? It's good. It's been fun. I mean, it's funny because I I only have this one book to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny when you're like at the beginning of your career and you're like, I could talk about that one book some more. And no one knows who you are. The people who are listening, unless your friends are listening, don't know you. So... I think at first I was self-conscious about the idea of, right, like, how to present myself. But then, you know, I just get started talking and it's like... Yeah, I think you have the, <laughs> you have that uh, in your blood, you know, the ability uh, to talking, just talk. Talking on, gene. Yeah, on the microphone and, and just to go with it. Because the, the ones that I've heard, you've always sounded very natural and very comfortable. And, yeah, I've done yeah. some fun ones. They're on my website if anyone wants to hear them. On Ooh, your website Kate, is what? com. There you go. And uh, I did a fun one with um, called Dale, Dale Radio. That was really fun. And book John. I've done some book podcasts and things. Yeah, it's a lot of podcasts and um, and a couple radio shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the book, of course, is called Fans of the Impossible Life. Yeah, you gotta get the plug in. Yep, definitely. <laughs> um, and as long as we're we're plugging things, KateSkelsa.com. Yeah. And what's that email address for the show? For our show? Our show is Kate and Vinskelsa podcast at gmail.com. If you want to email us. What did you think of the commercials? Wasn't it weird to hear a New York Times commercial where they're talking about classified ads? The thing I love about that one is like it's obviously just one man and one woman like doing all these voice doing voices like <laughs> I wanna find a house on Staten Island. Yeah. I am gonna be a chef. I need a baby. So, like, as if that was different people. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
And that one right at the very beginning of the segment um, for that insurance with S-B-L-I, you're worth more alive. <laughs> so I don't even know what that means. I don't know so either. creepy. Yeah. I also don't know what Jamaica, we're not just a beach, we're a country yeah, means. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but it was... Uh, Those are really good yeah. ads. And I, I was thinking about it, and um, there is something really interesting about looking at the sincerity of those ads. I mean, I was just listening to the radio on the car in the car on the way here and it was it was sort of unbearable, I have to say. Um every once in a while I'll turn on commercial radio and the ads are relentless. Mm. It's it's over half. Oh yeah. It's over half yeah. ads. They do up to eighteen minutes an hour uh, in New York on commercial radio. It felt like even more it was well, so it's interesting to listen to these old ads and write something like that New York Times ad that it is super... I mean, I guess that was supposed to be funny. Was that funny, that New York Times? I guess. Or it was sincere? Or yeah. What was that supposed to no, be? No, it was supposed to be entertaining, and it was supposed to be funny. But the whole idea of, of classified ads in the New York Times that you could you could buy classified ads just is like... Wow, you know, compared to where newspapers are today and where the New York Times is today. Well, I was thinking about the sincerity behind all that stuff because thinking about listening to Towns' music and how, how he, you know, he was this direct line to, um, to someone like uh, Hank Williams in a way that you kind of, you don't get direct lines anymore. Like, you can still have people who are inspired by that music, but it's sort of post, post something. You know, it's it's post post ironic. Mm -hmm. I mean, Towns didn't know Hank Williams. You know, it's but but he comes from the same uh, creative stream. Yeah, that's what if I I guess I mean that it's it's so it's so sincere. In a way that's only that you can only be that sincere when you're just one step away from something when you're when you're the the air like and um, that's really fascinating because also it's this connection to a kind of country music that doesn't really exist anymore uh, that kind of that singer songwriter mm. old school country music yeah yeah that, that country music now is just pop music. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, you know, Emmylou Harris and all those amazing people are still around, but you wouldn't have someone... If someone new came along singing songs like that, it would be like, oh, this is this is commentary. on. I would be very hip. It would be very hip in a way that I like knowing a time when things didn't have to be so... Didn't mm -hmm. have to be hip. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, because he was... Because he wasn't like... I don't know. I mean, I guess I mean hip in like a very modern way of like self-referential and very I know what I'm doing and I'm very calculated about my image yeah. or something. No, and he wasn't. seemed so sincere and such a, a genuine character in this way that this was this is just how the songs came out. Does it upset you that 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 aspect that's gone. is gone? Are you pissed off about that? 
Or do you just accept that that's the way the world is now? Yeah, I think it's a shame, but there's other good stuff. I think there's other good yeah. stuff. It doesn't mm. mean everything's bad now. Right, no, I don't. And I also think that stuff that is referential and stuff that does say, oh, we're going to, we sound like Hank Williams, you know, uh, and it's very calculated about it. Like, that it, That stuff isn't bad. It just is rare to have someone that's so much their own voice now, right? Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I don't know quite what I'm trying to say I, with this. I think I understand what you're saying. It, everything it, it, is, like, hyperlinked now to everything else. Mm-hmm. We're all a conglomeration of... This is, again, like, here in the New Jersey woods, put on your... Put on, this is the tinfoil hat <laughs> segment of our podcast. If, These uh, kids today. Yeah. If our our uh, listeners are interested in towns and, um, you know, all of his recordings are out there and available, but there's also a, a very good biography of towns written by um, a music writer named John Kruth, K-R-U-T-H. It's called To Live is to Fly. The Ballad of the Late Great Towns of Anzant. It was published in uh, uh, 2007. John Cruth or Cruth. I'm not quite sure how he pronounces that. But I, I had him on the show and uh, he interviewed me for the book. And so there's a little bit of my stuff in there. Yeah. Um, to Live is to Fly, The Ballad of the Late Great Towns of Anzant. And there's that film uh, uh, documentary that came out. Um, a few years back uh, called what is it called now called Be Here to Love Me uh, documentary uh, chronicling Towns's life and influence upon so many other songwriters and uh, I, I have one last little Towns story yeah. that I want to tell here which was years later after this recording took place it was in the, um, I guess, I was at K-Rock, so it was in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Could have even been later than that. It could have been the 90s. Uh, Towns was once again playing at the Lone Star, and this was when the Lone Star was down um, Fifth Avenue and like 13th Street or something like that, and do you re- can you remember the building with the big iguana mm-hmm. on top? Yeah, that was where the Lone Star was. Yep, and then it moved to the the theater district in the later years of its existence. Uh, but Towns was playing with Eric Anderson. They were old friends, and Eric was a guy who went back to the to the '60s and had been around for a couple of years prior to when Towns emerged. But they would frequently share bills together. And I went down to to just hang out and see them and be with them. And after the the shows were over, the late show ended, uh, everybody just kind of hung out. They locked the doors and people were just sitting at the bar drinking and maybe they got some hamburgers or a pizza in or something like that. And uh, I was sitting at the bar next to Towns, just kind of nursing a beer and, and... listening to the conversations going on around me and still having that feeling of being 
the kid in the candy store or the toy shop. I still, to the, to the day I retired, I felt that way at, at the Fare Thee Well concert. Mm-hmm. You know, I sat there going, oh, my God, look at this. Right. <laughs> this is great. And they're doing it for me. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. You know, so I'm sitting there at the bar and, and uh, I become aware of the fact that Towns, who was sitting next to me, who had been engaged in conversation with somebody else, had stopped talking and was just looking at me. He was staring at me. And I finally confronted him. I, I said, Talents, what, what, what are you looking at? Is there something? Uh, do you want to say something? Or what's, what's up? And again, he just kind of squinted. And this was when he was older and, and very ragged. Mm-hmm. You know, his face was cracked and like leather, you know, like mm-hmm. old cracked leather. And he still told all those stupid jokes. I mean, he never, no matter what, what he was doing to his body, and no matter what uh, trouble he was in with, with uh, addictions and family problems and everything, he still told those stupid shaggy dog jokes. His eyes are like squinted, and he looks at me and he goes, Vinny, how many years have we known each other? And I said, well, Towns, it's, uh, we met in 1968, so it's uh, 78, 80, maybe 22, 25 something years. Huh. And again, just stared at me. I didn't say anything. And finally he said, how come you don't have any scars? <laughs> and that's what i what i meant earlier in the podcast about he and i coming from different worlds he had plenty of scars (laughs) literally on his face and his body and and i didn't have any scars and he couldn't figure out what a friend of his was doing without scars so that's uh that's our town's van zant episode of uh the Kate and Vin Skelsa podcast. You want? Should I bring my my clarinet music back yeah. up for the end? Here? Yes, you're uh, experimental. Me, uh, here we go. It's more Philip Glass than Laurie Anderson, really. Yeah, yeah. It's that 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 reverb echo thing, but. It's really, it's. You're gonna. It's really kind of. I think it's good. Yeah, it's not. It's actually not bad. <laughs> you're gonna become an experimental composer in your old age. All right, we got to get John in here with his no, guitar and record like a this. record a real uh, piece of theme music for us. Uh, so we'll do this again in a couple of weeks, right? Yep, sounds good. Okay, thank you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you. Here in Studio V, Kate Skelsa and Vince Skelsa, thanking you for listening as well.